Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome to the 50th episode review from the Starfleet Leadership Academy. This is a huge milestone, and there's no one I'd rather celebrate with than you. And what a celebration we've got. 10 episodes, nearly 10 hours of content, and I'm condensing it into this one single episode. Through this season, Jean-Luc Picard demonstrates leadership through massive adversity. And I'm going to share how you can do that too. So buckle up for one of the most unique looks at Star Trek so far as we start Star Trek Picard Season 1. This season is nearly 10 hours long. So instead of diving into a full recap, I'm going to take a slightly different approach for this section. I'm going to skip entire, entire story and character arcs here. So if you want the whole thing, if you want every little detail, I recommend you go and watch the series. But I'm going to capture the pieces that are important for our purposes or, or just plain fun and cool. Now, the season picks up 20 years after the events in Star Trek Nemesis. Much, much later. Which puts it about 19 years after what we're seeing at the time of this recording in Lower Decks. It also connects this universe of Star Trek with the Kelvinverse movies. In the first of those movies, Star Trek 2009, the Romulan sun blows up and Spock, Spock tried to contain all the energy from that using red matter. It didn't work, and Spock ended up in an entirely different timeline. In this timeline, arguably the prime timeline, I guess, when word came around that the sun was going to explode, Picard led a Federation effort to evacuate the Romulan worlds that would be impacted. Now, Picard, the, the series here, picks up 14 years after the Federation gave up on its evacuation efforts for, for purely political reasons. And what didn't help and kind of sparked those political reasons was an attack on the Utopia Planitia shipyards on Mars. The synths, synthetic, uh, synthetic life, uh, synthetic beings that were providing a lot of the labor 
turned and they absolutely annihilated the entire planet. And this is particularly important for Android, which dominates the mobile malware market. In fact, they say Mars is still burning to this day, 14 years later. That resulted in a federation-wide ban on synths and androids, including doing any real research on them. Now, we meet a lot of new people in this season. Picard has two Romulans that he works with on his vineyard. You know, the one that we saw in the TNG episode, Family, except there's a little more, little more fleshed-out version of it. Those Romulans are Laris and Jabon, and they are awesome. They're former Tal Shiar operatives, and they're just laying low now, and they're helping to support Picard. Dodge and Soji are synth sisters. They're created in pairs. They don't really use the word android much like they did when describing data back during the next generation. I'm not sure why, but through this, we, we use the word synths all the time. Narek, Narek and Narissa are also Romulans. These Romulans appear to be with the Tal Shiar, but we're going to learn a lot more about them and where their allegiances actually lie later. Dr. Agnes Gerardi, a scientist that worked with Bruce Maddox on developing synthetic life. Bruce Maddox, you might remember, uh, he was in a number, or at least referenced, a number of the Next Generation episodes. He started off as the villain in the classic second season episode, Measure of a Man, and went on to become actually pretty close friends with Data. Rafi Musiker served with Picard on his mission to relocate Romulans. She really serves as the connection to, well, to absolutely everything for Picard. Both, and she did that really when they were in Starfleet together serving and, and now in the series that we're about to dive into. Cristobal Rios, captain of La Serena and a former Starfleet officer. He was an XO that, that watched his captain die. He was discharged shortly after that incident, and now he works as a pilot for hire. Commodore O is the head of Starfleet Security. We learn a lot about her through this, but what's important at this point, at least as far as I'm concerned, is that she's in Okinawa. <laughs> Looks like a bone dance. We'll meet Elnor, a young Romulan that was raised by a group of warrior nuns called the Kowat Malat. He believes in absolute candor, as do the warrior nuns of Kowat Malat. I'm going to talk more about what that is later, but the key point to know about Elnor beyond that is he is an unparalleled warrior and fighter. And Seven of Nine returns. She's a lot different than the Seven we remember from Voyager. She's a member of a group called the Fenris Rangers. They're, they're basically vigilantes that are trying to bring order to the systems that the Federation has outright abandoned. And that's the new group of people we're dealing with here. So the season kicks off with a dream sequence. We're in 10 forward on the Enterprise 1701D, the classic from the next generation. Picard and Data are sitting there playing cards. They near the end and Picard says, I don't want the game to end. That's kind of a theme that underlies almost this entire season, really. Well, he wakes up and he's living the life of a Picard, making wine, working the land, which is very much not, <laughs> not a Jean-Luc Picard kind of thing to do. He wrestles with this quite a bit, and he confides in Laris when he wakes up. The dreams are lovely. It's the waking up that I'm beginning to resent. Then we meet Dodge, along with her boyfriend. They're attacked by these futuristic biker-looking ninjas. Game dragon. Oh, game dragon. And she snaps. 
and just wails on him. Up to this point, she was she was just basically a human doing science stuff, you know? And then suddenly, I mean, literally in the blink of an eye, she's a highly trained fighter and killer. There's something, some weird thing inside of her brain that tells her very specifically to go find Picard. And speaking of Picard, he's about to grant the first public interview since he's retired from Starfleet, and it does not go well. The interview starts out pretty pretty racist or speciesist, and Picard isn't having it at all. There were millions of lives at stake. Romulan lives. No, lives. She starts pushing on the attack on Mars, and finally he ends the interview. He and Dodge end up meeting up. They go to the Starfleet archives to see what they can find on her. He finds a painting that Data did a long time ago called Daughter, and it has Dodge's face on it. As they leave the archives, the biker ninjas attack again, and this time, they end up killing Dodge. Picard sees that they're Romulan. In her death, Picard learns that Dodge was an android. She was synthetic, a synth. He starts to find purpose in his life, and he tells Laris, Sitting here all these years, nursing my offended dignity. I haven't been living. I've been waiting to die. And he's on the case. Who's Dodge? How does she connect with Data? And why are the Romulans trying to kill her? He goes to the Daystrom Institute in Okinawa, and he meets Dr. Gerardi. This is where we learn that they create the synths in pairs, and that they've been created from tech that Maddox pulled from B4. And B4, <laughs> B4 is a whole nother story. Basically, it's it's where what's well, a android body that Data's memories and programming ended up in when he, well, when he, spoiler alert here, when Data died in Nemesis. She says that when the synth band came down. Maddox ran off, went into hiding, and he's the one who has all the answers. So now they're searching for Maddox and Dodge's sister. Back at the chateau, the, the vineyard, they talk with Laris and Javon about what they've learned. They tell them a deep, deep secret. They tell them about a Romulan sect called the Jat Vash. The Jat Vash deeply, deeply hate, fear, they loathe all synthetic and artificial life. In fact, they're dedicated to destroying all of it. It looks like they destroyed all records of the attack on Dodge, so there's nothing, there's no proof showing the attack. Soji, Dodge's sister, we see, is working on a disabled Borg cube that they're calling the Artifact. The Romulans own this cube and they're salvaging it and learning about all the tech. There's also a program happening on the Artifact that's run by an ex-Borg named Hugh. And we know Hugh from a few episodes in The Next Generation that we haven't watched yet in the Starfleet Leadership Academy. But he's a Borg, ex-Borg, and what they call an XB in uh, in Picard. And he befriended the crew of the Enterprise on his appearances there. Soji is working with him to reclaim the Borg drones from the cube. They want to give them normal lives again, kind of what Hugh has been enjoying. She meets Narek, who's posing as a member of the crew on the artifact, and they end up getting really, really close. Picard is going to go to Starfleet to ask for help, but he visits with his old doctor from the Stargazer, which is cool. I mean, they served together a long time, I'm sure, but why he doesn't meet with Beverly Crusher is 
beyond me. But, well, here we are. It turns out Picard has an abnormality in his parietal lobe. The doctor says, A few are treatable, but they all end the same way. Basically saying it's terminal. Even with this, though, he's sure he can be cleared to lead a starship again. So, off he goes. There's a funny and awkward moment when he arrives and checks in for his meeting with the CNC, Admiral Clancy. May I have your name, please, sir? Yeah, he's not really remembered the way he once was. And then his meeting, another theme coming up here, his meeting with Clancy does not go well. Sheer hubris. He keeps pushing, though. He wants a small ship and a crew so he can find out what's going on and why the Romulans are doing this. She denies his request and hits another theme, one that though we're going to hear a whole lot about throughout this entire season. So do what you're good at. Go home. He heads back to his chateau. Gerardi says that she's learned that Daja's existence, her whole everything, was implanted into databases about three years ago. Knowing at this point he's got to do something, Picard says he's going to look for someone to help. You need someone who hates you and has nothing to lose. He reaches out to Rafi. She's the one. Going to ask her for help, but she completely ignores him, refuses to answer his calls. So he travels to her place to meet her in person. On the way, we get a flashback to 14 years ago. In this flashback, he's just submitted a new plan to Starfleet Command to be able to continue the Romulan evacuation. They tell him they're done. They are ending the initiative. Full of hubris, <laughs> he says that they can either accept his plan or accept his resignation. And that is his last moment in Starfleet. When he meets with Rafi, she is furious about that moment, and even more furious that Picard hasn't even spoken to her since then. Might have been nice to hear from you a time or two in there, JL. Just say hi. Eventually, she connects him with someone named Chris Rios. As he's preparing to leave, the Romulan biker ninjas attack his chateau. They capture one and interrogate it, who says they're also chasing after Soji, but they call her the Destroyer. They meet up on La Serena. Rafi figures out that Maddox is in a place called Free Cloud, which is basically Space Vegas. Classic Picard as they head out. Engage. They stop at a planet that Picard relocated Romulans to some time ago. They stop there on the way. He beams down, vacation style. I mean, I mean, he's got a hat, everything, this whole like just jacket. I mean, total, total vacation casual. It's it's kind of ridiculous, to be honest. But he's down there, and he's going to look for his friends in the co-op Malat. Those are the Romulan warrior nuns. Here, when he finds them, we learn about absolute candor. It's their primary teaching. Total communication without any filter between thought and word. Which leads to some pretty great moments, really. Picard knew Elnor as a child, and now he's all grown. Elnor agrees to accompany Picard on his hopeless cause, but not before they could get their licks in with a healthy dose of that absolute candor. When I left here, there was none of this. You could not save everyone. You chose to save no one. It's more of the theme we saw with Clancy earlier. On his way out, some locals go to attack Picard. They recognize him and they are angry. They're furious that they were abandoned. Elnor comes to his aid. Choose to live. He rips through the attacking Romulan and says, I regret your choice. And then in front of them all, Picard stands up on his own and he takes accountability. The Federation 
has failed you all. I failed you all. And then they beam out. On La Serena, we've been meeting Rios's crew. <laughs> He's got a host of emergency holograms, all made in his image and all with a different personality. He's got medical, engineering, navigation, weapons, and hospitality. With the help of Emmett, the emergency weapons hologram, they end up needing to fight their way to get away from the planet. Unexpected help comes in the form of Seven of Nine. Her fighter is destroyed, but they're able to beam her over. And now we've got our crew, Picard, Rios, Rafi, Gerardi, Elnor, and Seven. Then we get to Free Cloud and launch into the loyalty missions from Mass Effect 2. <laughs> Look, I know I've brought up Mass Effect before, but bear with me here. I think this season of Picard proves that I am right on with the comparisons. So Rafi, Rafi heads off on her own. She's got business she needs to take care of, while the rest of the team sets up a casino-style heist. Maddox is being held prisoner by a crime lord named Bajazel. The Tal Shiar have made an offer to buy him from her, so Picard and the crew have to make a better deal. They set up a super fun ruse with everybody playing different characters, and Picard is really into it. Disgusting thing. Once they get the Borg inside them, there is no coming back, no matter what they think. They're going to offer Seven in exchange for Maddox, and Seven assures everyone this is okay. See, she's been working to get to Bejazel for a long time anyway. She butchers ex-Borg for parts. She's been high on the Rangers' wanted list for years. Things are actually going really well. We end up getting a Deep Space Nine reference. Mr. Korka Ferengana was especially satisfied with your handling of his trouble with the breed. Which is totally cool. Of course, of course Quark would be plugged into Free Cloud, right? Well, they get Maddox, they get him beamed up to La Serena, and then Seven loses her cool pretty, pretty quickly. Turns out, Bejazel is responsible for the heartless and gory death of Echeb. Icheb was basically Seven's adopted son in the later seasons of Voyager. They're in a standoff, and Picard's team beams away. Seven assures Picard that she's going to take off and be cool, grabs two phasers, and beams herself back to Bejazel's. And then she just starts blasting. Anyway, I started blasting. And Bejazel goes down. He was a son to me, Jay. This is for him. They get Maddox to sickbay. He is really beat up. He says that Soji is on the artifact and that he thinks the Federation is in cahoots, is working with the Romulans. They leave him with Gerardi, you know, the doctor, and also the one that we found out was dating Maddox before he ran off. But instead of caring for him, instead of treating his wounds, she removes all the life support and she watches him die. Oh, you knew what I know. Later, she explains Maddox's death to Picard. His heart just couldn't take it. And he is amazing and shows so much compassion. This is hard for you. They start talking about what to expect on the artifact. Gerardi is really interested in the Borg, especially given her studies and her specialties. But Picard is not cool with that at all. They don't change, they metastasize. There's a perfect and powerful scene of his face overlaid with the Lacutus face. Lacutus was the name of Picard when he was assimilated and became Borg. He experiences so much trauma 
and he gets to relive it again in that one moment. We feel all of it. Up on La Serena, everybody's recovering from the free cloud experience. Rafi, who is told to go fly a kite by her son, she's been drinking. Gerardi and Rios hook up. Picard eventually pulls everybody together so they can come up with a plan to to try and make this work. Rafi is able to get diplomatic credentials for Picard, but no one else is going to be allowed on the artifact with him. On the artifact, Soji's been having a lot of just weird experiences. She knows things that there's no possible way she could know. She can speak and understand languages. There's there's no way or reason she should be able to speak or understand. And she takes a, a phone call from her mom every night and every time she falls asleep during that call. She's starting to panic. She's starting to notice that things just aren't right. And she scans all of her personal belongings and all of it. Every single piece is only three years old. Probable age, 37 months. They arrive at the artifact. Absolutely amazing job showing Picard's trauma. Flashes of Locutus, weird camera angles, very, very tense music. The pacing of it all really, really pulls you into the moment. He sees Hugh and embraces him as if he were drowning. Hugh? It's really almost cathartic. Hugh helps him. He reassures him. And you are Jean-Luc Picard, not Locutus. And agrees to take Picard to Soji. As they're walking through, Picard sees the Borg being restored. It's a huge turning point for him and his views on the Borg. They're victims, not monsters. Soji, now even more panicked, goes to Narek. They've been getting closer and she trusts him. He takes her to a Romulan meditation space. It's, it's like a labyrinth where you follow along a path and you explore a memory. Narek is guiding her through a recurring dream that she's been having. As she works through the dream, she sees two moons that locate actually where, where she was in this dream. Then she starts asking questions. And Narek, Narek says, Because you're not real. You never were. He leaves and he gasses the room. He's trying to kill her. She fully activates as a synth and punches her way through the floor to escape. She runs into Hugh and Picard, and he pleads with her. I'm a friend of a friend of your father's. They run from the Romulans that are chasing after them. Hugh leads them to the Queen's cell. It's hidden, and it has a spatial trajector that can basically transport someone up to 40,000 light years away. This hypothetical scenario might help you to understand the plot device called Deus Ex Machina. He tells Rios and La Serena to head to a planet called Nepenthe to rendezvous. Elnor, on his own, beamed over to the artifact and he intercepts the Romulans. He insists on providing coverage for Hugh while Picard and Soji beam away. I will not leave you behind again. But Elnor says Hugh's cause is even more hopeless than Picard's. Picard agrees and releases him from his commitment. Soji's afraid. She's hesitant. But trust Picard, knowing that the Romulans, <laughs> the Romulans are the worst. They beam away and the Romulans arrive. Please, my friends, choose to live. Gerardi's a wreck. She is really struggling with having killed Maddox. We get a flashback to after her and Picard's first meeting back at the Daystrom Institute. She was eating lunch, and Commodore O comes to her. I'm here because we need your help. O grabs Gerardi in a two-handed mind meld. Uh, oh, okay, but... My mind 
to your mind. To show her what would happen if synthetic life is allowed to exist. Wild sequence here. Worlds exploding. People tearing their faces off and shooting themselves. Gerardi breaks away and vomits. O gives her a device, forces her to chew and swallow it. That's going to allow them to track her. La Serena minus Picard heads off to Nepenthe. Narek, in a small fighter, cloaks and tails after them. Picard and Soji appear on Nepenthe immediately. They meet a young girl, Kestra, who happens, that happens to be the same name as Deanna Troy's sister from the Next Generation episode, their season seven episode, Dark Page. Well, Kestra takes them to see her parents. And yes, yep, her parents are Deanna Troy and Will Riker. You're in trouble. How bad? Oh, you need a place to hide out. They know him so well. They're living the rustic life. Big house in the woods, outdoors, wood-fired pizza. Ugh, it's great. As they're traveling, Rios finds Narek's ship tailing them. Tries to lose him. While they're waiting to see if it worked, Gerardi tries to get them to give up the chase. I'm sorry, I want to be the fun crew member, but can I ask a maybe dumb question? Do you guys actually want to go to Nepenthe? Ah, and she even brings up one of my all-time favorite books that you can find in my reading list on the website that's linked in the show notes. Turn this ship around. Rafi takes her and tries to calm her down with cake. You bet it's cake. Picard and Riker are talking, and Soji meets him. She cocks her head to the left, just like Data used to do, and Riker totally notices. When she walks away, Riker says he's figured everything out. And not just an android. I recognize that head tilt anywhere. Not bad for a pizza chef. <laughs> and then Riker hits on the theme that's been building in the season. Classic. Picard. Arrogance. After Troy talks with Soji for a while, she tries to coach Picard on how to approach her. Picard just makes light of her not trusting anybody. And Troy, Troy lays into him. Her capacity to trust was a flaw in her programming. And he finally starts to get it. I need to be. You need to be Jean-Luc Picard. Compassionate, patient, curious. On the artifact, Hugh tells Elnor that he's going to take over the cube. He's going to power it back up and he's going to get rid of the Romulans. Nerissa overhears and cuts him off. And not just a treaty violation. Open insurrection. Elnor tries to protect him. Nerissa fights Elnor in the tradition of the Jatvash and the Koat Malat, hand to hand. But this gives her the chance to throw a knife at Hugh, and she kills him. And then she beams away right before Elnor can get to her. He finds a device that calls the Fenris Rangers and activates it. It's dinner time at the Troy Rikers. They talk about what next steps are going to be. Picard follows the advice that Troy gave earlier. He shares his experience with Dodge, and he reaches out for trust. Soji, listen to the timbre of my voice. Note the dilation of my pupils. You can trust me. And he explains to her why, why he wants to help. You were created out of a remnant of a friend, Commander Data. And he shares that this gives him purpose again. Now he's not, he's not just waiting to die. Soji shares the information about her home that she saw in her vision from, from her dream. Riker guesses that Maddox went there to hide out, and that's where he created Dodge and Soji. Riker and Troy say the Romulans have got a big head start. 
Given the info she shares, their daughter, Kestra, determines... It's in the Vite sector. ...by reaching out and asking a friend from the spaceport. Rafi and Gerardi bond over delicious red velvet cake. So much of that cake, it seems, that Gerardi gets sick. They take her to sick bay to get some rest. She replicates a toxin and injects herself with it. She starts foaming at the mouth and collapses. The emergency medical hologram, the EMH, calls Rios. Is it Agnes? She's still having stomach trouble? At the moment, I'm more concerned with the fact that she's in a coma. On Nepenthe, Picard and Riker go for a walk. Even though it feels like it, this really isn't fan service at all. What's happening here really does advance the plot. Picard says he regrets very much, so being forced to retire. Riker is only semi-retired. I am still on active reserve. It's a great scene. After that, La Serena arrives, Picard and Soji beam up. Another flashback, again, to about 14 years ago. There are a group of Romulans on a remote planet doing a ritual. This is the initiation to become Jat Vash. We have worked in shadow to prevent a second coming of the destroyers. They're going to experience a vision, the admonition, the thing that O shared with Gerardi. Most people who see this lose their minds. They can't comprehend what they see. Oh, O is there. She's dressed as Jat Vash. She's leading the ritual. It turns out Commodore O is half Romulan and also half Vulcan. She kicks off the vision. Endure the admonition if you can. We see brief glimpses of humans and robots and a world exploding. If you ever played Mass Effect, <laughs> here we go. It's basically what Shepard sees from the Prothean Beacon. Almost all of the Romulans there go mad, ripping out their hair, smashing rocks into their faces. Notably, Nerissa, Narek's sister, and the one that killed Hugh, does not go mad. And she is eager to help. We have to stop them. And then O shares the conspiracy. On the world the humans call Mars. So the attack on Mars, the ban on synths, it was all orchestrated by O. It really is a Romulan and Federation conspiracy. I mean, kind of. I mean, like if you count Commodore O as being the Federation, Rafi was right. And Rafi and Rios, along with the EMH, update Picard on what's happened with Gerardi. Agnes Gerardi had a tracking isotope in her blood. We think she killed Bruce Maddox. The EMH explains the toxin she injected herself with blocked the tracker. It also explains that Maddox should have lived. It was Gerardi messing with the support systems that killed him. Picard waits for Gerardi to wake up. And when she does, he confronts her. She shares what happened when O came to her in Okinawa, including all the details of the admonition. It happened thousands of centuries ago. At this point... At this point, this has 100% become the Reaper storyline from Mass Effect. The coming of the Destroyer triggers something that will destroy the galaxy. And if you remember, the Romulans believe that Soji is the Destroyer. Gerardi gets to meet Soji and she is so excited. Picard talks with her as well. Soji's feeling lost. She's not accepting her new reality well. Not at all. But his leadership shines through. You don't know what it's like to have this vacuum inside of you, Picard. You're right. I don't know what that's like. I can only try and imagine it. He tells her more about Data to help her understand why he's helping her. 
on the artifact, Seven has responded to Elnor's call. She has a desperate plan. See, she's going to plug herself into the cube and become the queen. Now, this will help her to power it back up, and then she's going to use the drones to fight off the Romulans. We are bored. Nerissa and the Romulans start killing off XBs, and they start venting the drones out into space to try and protect themselves. A Romulan fleet, a whole armada, leaves for the synth homeworld. Nerissa is preparing to leave, but she's overtaken by Borg drones and XBs. She's barely able at the last second to beam away. With the Romulans gone, Seven is hesitant to release her control of the cube. Are you going to assimilate me now? But she does, and she gives Elnora a little smile. The crew on La Serena come together, and they go over everything. Soji knows of a Borg transwarp conduit that's nearby that can shave days off the trip to her homeworld. They head towards it while Picard and Rios talk about the danger of giving in to fear instead of using the great tools that we already have. And we have powerful tools, Rios. Openness, optimism, and the spirit of curiosity. They enter the transwarp conduit, and we see a small, Romulan-looking vessel cloaked follow them in. They arrive. We call it Capelius. More of Soji just just knowing things that there's no way she should know. Well, things pick up fast. Narek's fighter, the one that was following them, uncloaks and attacks. And shortly after that, the artifact, the Borg Cube, piloted by Seven, comes through the conduit as well. And if that weren't wild enough, five, well, five things <laughs> come up from the planet's surface. Um, okay. I want to say like a giant flower. They disable all the ships and bring them crashing to the planet's surface. They land a few kilometers away from the synth settlement. Picard goes over the plan. The plan is to warn the synths that the Romulans are coming. Oh, and in this, he also mentions that he's got a terminal disease. One more thing. I learned that my condition was more acute. The prognosis was terminal, and there is no effective treatment. Anyone who treats me like a dying man will run the risk of pissing me off. Soji knows the place, kind of, but her memories are still jumbled. She's not sure what to expect when they get there. Well, they head out walking towards the settlement, and they see the crashed remnants of the artifact. They head over to that. XBs are walking through the ruins, and, and they recognize Picard. Locutus. And then Elnor and Seven emerge with the Voyager theme playing in the background. It's kind of cool, actually. They use the cube to scan for the Romulan fleet. There are 218 warbirds on their way. Elnor and Seven stay on the cube to try and salvage it, while the others continue on to the settlement. It's a thriving community of synths. They're doing Tai Chi, playing 3D chess, just, just hanging out. They recognize and welcome back Soji. They're really excited she's returned. They also recognize Picard. Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Data's captain. We meet the kind of leader of the synths, Sutra. She looks just like Soji, but with golden skin and eyes. She's learned to mind meld, somehow, <laughs> and melds with Jurati. My mind to your mind. So she can see the admonition. It turns out that the reason people lose their minds when they see it is because it's coded and meant for synthetic life. Sutra can completely make sense of it. It's a warning to synths that eventually organics will turn on them. When that happens, 
they can reach out for help. Beyond the boundaries of time and space, we stand. An alliance of synthetic life. Seriously, like, how is this not Mass Effect, but with the emphasis on preserving synthetic life instead of organic? I mean, am I wrong here? Am I? Please tell me. Well, Alton Inigo Sung, biological son of Data's creator, Noonien Sung, is there as well. He and Maddox created this settlement and all the synths that live there. Sung has also created a golem. It's a synthetic body that can accept a human consciousness. But he doesn't know how to handle the transfer. That was Maddox's specialty. But lucky for him, having worked with Maddox for so long, Gerardi does know how to handle that transfer. She agrees to work with him on that. Sutra tells Soji that she plans on building a beacon to reach out to the beings behind the admonition. Soji's conflicted about it. An awkward moment with Rafi and Picard happens in all of this, and this moment, oh, this moment's amazing. I love you, too. Oh, you don't have to say it back to me. I don't. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Okay. I love you, too, Rafi. Narek, who also crashed on the planet, is subdued and captured by the synths. Sutra comes and talks with the synth that is guarding him, Saga. Shortly after this, <laughs> Saga is found, murdered, and Narek is missing. Picard and Soji have a deep discussion about sacrifice. The logic of sacrifice. Hmm. I don't like the sound of that. Sutra uses Saga's murder to start rallying the synths. The organics came. They will always fear us. Always turn on us. Hunt us. Kill us. Some real ensigns of command kind of vibes here. The villagers, the setting, everything just really, really feels that way here. Picard stands up and challenges her. And she shares the plan to call out to the admonition beans. Sutra puts it more plainly, and Picard gets right to it. Their purpose is to seek out advanced synthetic life and excise it from the oppression by organics. Excise? Soong is on the side of the synths, and he calls for Picard to be placed under house arrest to keep him quiet. And Soji? Soji agrees. The Romulan fleet is en route. They're 24 hours away, and we see the commander of the Armada. And it's O. What? Work has begun on the beacon. Soji decides to visit Picard in his quarters. And in that moment, he basically sums up all of Star Trek. To say you have no choice is a failure of imagination. Narek, having escaped, goes to La Serena. And he tries to set up an alliance. We can keep fighting, or we can work together. They agree to meet with him. He explains the admonition and that something, something is coming. Elnor is also aware of the story. He says it's a children's myth. But ultimately, everyone agrees that they should work together. Narek offers himself as a prisoner for the Serena crew to bring to the settlement. That'll get them in so they can try and take out the beacon. Gerardi, within the compound, is able to get to Picard and sneak him out. They make their way to La Serena. Sung, as he's cleaning up Saga, sees the record of her death. And he sees that it wasn't just Narek. But Sutra also made it happen. This causes him to change his tune, and now he's looking to help against the beacon. Picard and Gerardi are trying to launch La Serena. They need to notify Starfleet. Picard talks of their responsibility to the synths. They have life, but 
No one is teaching them what it's for to be alive. As he successfully launches, he says that he's going to teach them by example. Sutra and Soji are bringing the synths together as the beacon nears its completion. Sung, who's now partnered with the crew, joins them and he confronts Sutra. I thought I taught you better than this. And then using a little tool, he incapacitates her. And as this happens, the Romulans arrive and O commands... Ready planetary sterilization pattern number five. Wait, they have five different patterns for this? <laughs> wow, that's, that's pretty wild. Well, Picard sees the Armada arrive and he hails Soji. He's making an attempt to stop them, to show them what being alive means. And so he offers the ultimate to them. He offers... My life. And then in a huge huge moment that was, in my opinion, a massive missed opportunity for the series here. Hundreds of the exact same Starfleet ships arrive. Just, they're all the exact same model. It's like they just did copy and paste. But there's hundreds of them. O is hailed. Acting Captain Will Riker in command of the USS Zheng He. Riker pulls the planet under the Federation's protection, which now brings it under the Treaty of Algernon, which if you know, you know. If you don't, just know there's a treaty protecting it now. Riker gives the Romulans a chance to stand down and both sides prep for a shootout. The beacon activates. A hole tears in space. And at the same time, Picard's brain thing flares up. He needs to talk to Soji, and he needs to do it right now. So Gerardi gives him some meds. He pleads with her. Show them how profoundly wrong they are about you. I trust you, Soji. I know you. I believe in you. All of this on an open, armada-wide channel. Out of the whole weird, robot, snake-looking things start coming out, and Soji powers down the beacon suddenly, and that sucks them back in. Really, <laughs> here I go again. The little things look just like the architects in Mass Effect Andromeda. There's a short, a short tense moment thinking the Romulans may attack, but they stand down and warp away. Picard and Riker connect. I'm supposed to sit around in the woods making pizza while you have all the fun? And he takes the fleet back. Picard immediately starts feeling pain again. He's starting to die. We see scenes of him and Data from earlier in the season. Soji brings them to the planet's surface. There's a bunch of heartfelt goodbyes with Soji and Elnor and Rafi. And then, and then Jean-Luc Picard dies. Everyone is mourning in their own ways. This is a really good, really impactful sequence. But suddenly, Picard wakes up in a study, sitting across from Data. No, Captain. It is a massively complex quantum simulation. Data has questions about dying. Data, am I dead? Yes, Captain. Picard acknowledges Data's sacrifice for him. He says it wishes it were him that had to die instead of Data. Then why would you imagine I regret sacrificing mine for yours? Among the many, many things that I regretted after your death was that I never told you that you loved me. But it's a great moment for the two of them. Data explains to him that in this moment, they've transferred Picard's brain, his consciousness, into the golem that was meant for Sung. When Picard leaves the simulation, he's going to be alive again. But Data has one request. Data wants Picard to terminate his consciousness when he leaves the simulation. Picard agrees to, and he does it, he does it out of love. He wakes up, and he's a golem now. 
happens to look exactly the same. He looks completely identical to how he did before. Well, it has no augmentations, no, you know, superpowers. They built an algorithm into it, so he'll die naturally. He'll have mortality, and he'll die around the same time that he would have otherwise. We see, after this, scenes of Picard wearing his next-generation uniform, sitting with Data as his consciousness terminates. The next generation theme takes us to credits as La Serena with a full crew, including Seven and Soji, takes off. Engage. Wow, that was a lot. Remind me to never, ever try to condense 10 super dense episodes into one podcast release again. Still, it was a lot of fun to watch through this again. I haven't watched it, honestly, since it was first released. Also, I want to reiterate, I jumped past entire story and character arcs. So if I missed something, know that it was in the interest of brevity and out of respect for your time. All right, let's talk about this season. Come to Quark's Crisis Fun. Come right now. Go Quark. Run. Are you a leader? A Star Trek fan? Do you love the lessons and strategies taught on the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast? Visit jeffakin.com forward slash store to get shirts, mugs, and other great merchandise to show off where you have learned all the great strategies and lessons that are taught on the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Visit jeffakin.com forward slash store or click on the link in the show notes to support the podcast and look good doing it. Did you just survive another meeting that should have been an email or not even have happened at all? Do you dream of efficient, meaningful meetings? Then you need Lucid Meetings. Lucid Meetings makes it easy for teams to run successful meetings every day. Visit lucidmeetings.com to explore free workshops, free resources, and to learn more. Lucid Meetings, because teams that meet well accomplish more and have more fun. Visit lucidmeetings.com today. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. There are at least two things that really make this season work. Nostalgia and incredible acting. Picard, the series here, Picard, introduced Allison Pill as Gerardi, Evan Evagora as Elnor, Michelle Hurd as Rafi, and Santiago Cabrera as Rios to Star Trek, among other people too. But these four specifically are so incredible. They made super, super deep characters breathe and live in a super real way. I remember, I remember the first time I watched this season, this series, Picard, and all I could think of, all I could think was, where have Michelle Heard and Santiago Cabrera been my whole life? I mean, seriously. Now, of course, I remember Michelle Heard from the newer 90210. But these two are exactly what Star Trek needs. There's this incredible scene where Rafi is talking to the five hologram versions of Rios. What happened on the Ibn Majid? One of us knows. Seifu's a pipe and an off you off the fang. So true, Ian. I mean, it's not even a language. I mean, what a feat for all of them. 
I talked about the direct influence of Mass Effect on the show, but going through and listening to the audio clips, like, like even the soundtrack is straight from the game. Even when the AI synthetic beings reveal themselves, they sound just a little like the hologram Reaper kid at the end of the trilogy. But not only would this have Mass Effect rings to it, it also kind of had more of a Star Wars feel than Star Trek, in my opinion. Kiri's sector's sketchy nowadays. Serious power vacuum. Smugglers and petty warlords like Karkanta basically run the show. I mean, fighters instead of starships, space dogfights all over the place. It's, it's not a bad thing at all. It's just, well, it's, it's just a thing, really. The season is built as one big story, and each episode drops little hints, ending with a hook to bring you back. Now, if you've watched any big TV in the last like 10 years or so, you know the formula. You know it really well. And I think for a show that leaned so heavy into nostalgia, they, they missed the boat on this in a few places. For the first episode or so, when, when Dodge and Soji are still just maybe androids, right? We don't know their whole story. I was convinced they were either going to be or somehow be related to Data's daughter, Lol, that he constructed in the TNG episode, The Offspring. I've decided to allow my child to choose its own sex and appearance. But she doesn't even get a mention in this season, and neither does Data's brother, Lore. I'm disappointed that in a season about artificial life, about synths, about androids, they completely, completely forgot these two really important characters. But even forgetting that, they leaned heavy into TNG and Voyager nostalgia, and pretty smoothly for the most part, too. Early on, they make super on-the-nose references. You need a crew. Riker, Worf, LaForge. Hmm? And then, of course, there's the entire seventh episode, Nepenthe, talking about former Enterprise crew and Riker and Troy reminiscing with Picard, right? They even have some super... Super deep cuts. One of my favorites in these deep cuts is in Soji's room on the artifact. She's got all this memorabilia, right? The, the pictures and notes and things like that. All the stuff that she found out was just three years old. Well, one, one of the pieces in there is an Adventures of Flotter lunchbox. Now, we'll talk about Flotter in some Voyager episodes here later at some point, but what a cool deep cut. Now, in a very, in a very real way, this whole season was about tying up loose ends from the Next Generation series and movies, specifically between Picard and Data. The dream sequences with them were, were really well done. And Picard's sadness in them reflected a lot, reflected what a lot of us that grew up with TNG feel all the time, really. And the final scene, the final scene when Picard terminates Data's consciousness, it's that, that's the closure that I think a lot of us wanted after Nemesis. The scene, that whole sequence, really was really nearly perfect. They start off some romantic relationships in this season. There's uh, Rios and Gerardi, Rafi and Seven. But they do a thing that almost no TV has had the courage to do. Almost no TV has had the guts to do. And I'm so glad they did it here. I love you too. I love you too, Rafi. I mean, why does every loving relationship have to be a, what is the word, have to be a, be a ship, right? Like, like Rafi and Picard, they have a deep, 
a deep love, but it's rooted in respect, friendship, professionalism. It's not romantic at all. Now, I know this might alienate some people, but but this is why I'm so glad that Chakotay and Janeway never hook up in Voyager. They're just two professionals that, I believe, love each other. But the kind of love two amazing friends have. Stop. Please stop making everything a romantic relationship and, and let's normalize loving, respectful friendships on TV. Thank you. Thank you, Star Trek Picard, for doing this when almost no one else will. At the end of the episode, we learn the ban on synths has been lifted. And other than putting the crew together, there isn't a lot that hints at the next season. At the time of this recording, the second season is just starting to air, and it is very different than this one. Paramount and some of the actors have stated that this is just going to be a three-season arc. That's it. And honestly... Honestly, I'm totally good with that. So far, I'm really optimistic about the second season. But for the first season, to be completely honest, I I don't really care too much for it. It's probably my least favorite Star Trek so far. But that doesn't mean it's bad. I mean, is the Olympic athlete that doesn't medal a bad athlete? <laughs> Absolutely not. They're still at the top of their sport. Picard, to me, is exactly that. I'm glad I saw it. I'm thankful for this opportunity to dive into it again, but it's likely likely I'm probably not going to watch this again. At least at least not for a really long time. Command codes verified. Robert G. Ingersoll said, "In nature, there are not rewards nor punishments. There are only consequences." Well, there are consequences to leadership, and Picard experiences them in a very real way throughout this entire season. But he also shows why many consider him to be the greatest captain in Star Trek. He takes accountability. He listens with compassion and empathy. And he sticks to his guiding values no matter the cost. I'm going to look at how he did these things and share how you can do that as well. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. Classic. Picard. Arrogance. When the Federation found out that Romulan's son was going supernova, they appointed Picard to handle the evacuation and relocation efforts. He never had any doubt he would be successful. Even when every bit of evidence to the contrary was in front of him, like the synths destroyed Mars, the political maneuvering that caused the Federation to pull out. Even with all that, Picard and Rafi developed a plan to scale back but continue the evacuation efforts. Picard, Picard was so assured of his status and his importance that he put it all on the line. I said that either they accept the revised evacuation plan or my resignation. And they accepted his resignation. After this, he ran away. He retreated to his vineyard and he left the galaxy behind. But in the meantime, the work he had started was left undone. Romulans had been dumped on planets and left to fend for themselves. Personal relationships like with the uh, like with the Coat Malat and Elnor, they were forgotten. And Rafi, Rafi was left to fend for herself and to drown into depression. 
Leadership has consequences, and Picard faces those many times in this season. Clancy called him on it early on, and even Seven gets some digs in. Ranging is my job. It's not saving the galaxy. It's helping people who have no one else to help them. The only thing worse would be giving up. Honestly, as leaders in the corporate world we all live in, this is something we're faced with. We support people. We start projects. We start initiatives. We impact cultures. And then, eventually, we move on. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully not with the bravado of Jean-Luc Picard, but new jobs, opportunities, retirements, and, and yeah, getting asked to resign or even being fired. <laughs> These things happen to all of us. Have you ever been in a workplace, right? And have you ever said or heard someone else say, oh, things sure were better when so-and-so was here. I know I've said it. It never feels good when you're in that situation. But what do you do about it? About 10 years ago, I managed a program and I was able to transform the culture there. It was awesome. People were happy to come to work. We had fun together and our work was consistently of a very, very high quality. Eventually, that work was rewarded and I took a promotion. I said my goodbyes and I went on with my career, right? But maybe like three weeks is like three weeks later, the place was unrecognizable. It fallen back to a top-down culture. I'm your boss, and there's going to be some changes around here. Can't wait to hear them. And at best, people just weren't excited to come to work anymore. But why did that happen, right? Well, like Picard, even though my core guiding values were solid, my maturity wasn't. And I made everything there. I made it about me. My team wasn't following and aspiring to my values or vision. No, no, they were following and aspiring to me. And once I left, there was nothing left to follow. This is what a cult of personality can look like. In fact, in fact, to this day, I have that. I have cult of personality written in red on whatever whiteboard is closest to my desk to remind me of the lessons from this failure. So to combat this, you do what leaders do. You create more leaders, as many as you can, regardless of their position. You clearly talk about the vision and you hold everyone accountable to following the values you or your organization have. And then, then you enable others to carry the messages, right? Big team meeting coming up, let someone else carry the culture message. Important report to send to the team, let someone else do that. Spread the visibility, spread the ownership of the tasks so it's not about you. Picard easily could have done this. He could have created other leaders on other ships to champion his cause. He, he could have gone with a team to the Federation to share the updated plan, but he didn't. He made it all about him. You know, Picard, every part of that guy that's not ego is rampaging id. And when they didn't want him, he didn't know what to do. Man can't even take a guilt trip without using a starship. So he ran away from everything and found himself just marking time. Through this season, though, he was forced to face the consequences of his leadership, and he showed up for it. I failed you all. And he says this in front of a group of Romulans ready to straight up beat him up. 
Look, we all make mistakes. It's part of our humanity. And like I talked about in the episode on TNG's elementary Dear Data, mistakes and failure are essential for growth and learning. But you don't get to make a mistake that causes harm or impacts a project or task and just move on. You own that mistake. You take accountability for it and you apologize. I allowed the perfect to become the enemy of the good. And then the key to accountability? Like, it's not just apologizing. It's then taking the actions to make things right. And that's what this entire season really is. It's Picard making right on his wrongs. And he does it with so much awesomeness. I mean, there are so many quotes I could include here to show how amazing he is as a leader. But, like, check these out. It makes total sense that you're angry. I disappointed you. I neglected you, and I wasn't there when you needed me. I'm truly sorry. And then there's... This is hard for you. And even... You're right. I don't know what that's like. I can only try and imagine it. So much compassion. You'll notice the first thing he does is validate the other person's feelings. He does this and is able to come to positive outcomes with people that either have have nothing left to lose or people who literally hold all the cards. In these moments, in these moments when he's doing this, it's not about him. It's about the person he's talking to. I mean, his compassion and empathy with Soji leads to one pivotal moment that changes everything. I trust you, Soji. I know you. I believe in you. Had he made this about him or demanded that Soji listen to him or, or insisted on strict top-down command styles instead of the inclusive style that we know him for... Without Maddox, we'll never find Dodger's sister. Options. That approach wouldn't have worked, and the Reapers would have emerged from dark space and destroyed the mass relays, or, <laughs> or, I mean, the synthetic AI beings would have answered the beacon and wiped out all organic life. Look, this is an approach you can apply in all of your interactions. Remember, it's not about you. It's never about you. It's about the person or people you're talking to. Acknowledge their feelings and hear them. Really, really hear them. And maybe, maybe you too will have the chance to save the galaxy one day. Thank you so much for 50 episodes looking at leadership in Star Trek. Only about, oh, I don't know what, like a thousand more to go? <laughs> hey, I have a five-star review to share with you. It's from Bridget. Let me read it. I'm a relatively new listener to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, and as I work through the back catalog of episodes, I find this quickly becoming one of my favorite podcasts. It's both fun and informative with many gems of wisdom that I'm keen to apply to my daily life. Would recommend to anyone, whether an aspiring leader or not. Thank you so much, Bridget. If you haven't left a review for the podcast yet, please do. I can't wait to share it here and on my social media. And speaking of that social media, I'm on Twitter at SFLA Podcast. And you can follow me on all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken. Jeff T. as in terminating consciousness. <laughs> A-K-I-N. Computer. 
What are we going to watch next time? Working. Oh, good. <laughs> it's working again. A little, little nervous after last time. And hey, we're heading back to Deep Space Nine. It'll be the 17th episode of the second season, Playing God. This is a cool sci-fi concept episode that really, really starts to solidify the characters in the series. I'm looking forward to watching it with you. And until then, Ex Astra Scientia. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.